Are you interested in learning more about nurse practitioners? Do you want to know about how they work in a primary care team? Yeah, me too. Welcome to Team Up, a podcast where we talk about team-based primary care in British Columbia. I'm Sarah, a medical anthropologist and team member in the Innovation Support Unit in the Department of Family Practice at the University of British Columbia. And I'm Morgan, a family doctor and also a team member in the Innovation Support Unit. So Morgan, in this episode, we're going to dive into the role of nurse practitioners in primary care. And I'm excited to learn as we go here. In our work in different kinds of clinics across BC, I've had the chance to learn a lot about the scope of nurse practitioners, but I think the general public is maybe less aware of the details when it comes to their role. Sarah, you're probably right. I've had the luxury of working with NPs clinically, but not everybody has and not all patients have. Now with nurse practitioner-led clinics in some of the communities, that knowledge in the public is probably on the rise, but there's definitely questions that we keep hearing in discussions focused about what is the role, what's different for NPs and nurse practitioners, and the different kinds of teams that they can be a part of. So let's dive in. What is a nurse practitioner and what can a nurse practitioner do in a team, Morgan? So a nurse practitioner is a nurse that's had additional training and in primary care, they're usually primary care providers. They can be trained and have other areas of focus in different parts of the healthcare system, but we're just going to focus on the family nurse practitioner. They bring their skill and their lens to patients in primary care, generally as that primary care provider, in much the same way as a family doctor does. And given that overlap of skills and the different kinds of service, I think that's the confusion about what does an NP add? Well, most of the time, NPs, as I said, they're primary care providers. They can also be working in a team with family doctors, working more closely with a subset of patients within a shared panel. And I think that was one of the first NPs that we met, Sarah, Mm -hmm. five years ago in the ISU. Right. And I think as we went out and talked again to a range of providers to create this episode, the added value that NPs can bring to a team was returned to so often by many of the voices that we'll hear from today. Yeah, so rather than thinking about the role of replacing a family doctor or being a cost-effective alternative, I think the NP should be thought of as complementary and addressing needs in the system overall. And then that means increasing access to primary care in a whole bunch of different places. And that's what the system and our patients need right now. So what can nurse practitioners do? All right, so as a primary care provider, nurse practitioners, they can diagnose and they can treat at a high level. And they can also prescribe medications. So it includes that as well as supporting patients with acute primary care needs. They can do things like set simple fractures and dislocations, right? Yeah, and that was news to me because I don't do that as often as I used to. And of course, I think the place we all think of initially is chronic disease management, so the more routine follow-up. And I went back to the guidelines to actually learn that. So we'll put a link in the show notes to the scope of practice guidelines from the BC College of Nurses and Midwives. What else can they do? So they can refer, as a family doctor would, to specialists and other providers. And they can also do other procedures, like inserting IUDs and removing lesions, lumps and bumps, and things like that. With training and the equipment, they're able to do all those things. And I think, really, to reiterate where you started us off, Morgan, is this idea that nurse practitioners can be very autonomous primary care providers who provide primary care. Well, I would say the scope of practice, when you zoom out and look at things, we have 
very expanded scope of practice. Everything from, as I said, medical assistance in dying to methadone prescribing to providing trans care to all the care that is required to meet the primary care needs of complex populations are within our scope. But that there also can be some variability between NPs depending on the practice that they're working in and the populations that they serve. And the idea that Eliza Henshaw highlights here is that in primary care, there are different clinic models that NPs can fit into, and the roles that they take on are influenced by the model of care they operate under. Now, Eliza's been practicing as a nurse practitioner for over 14 years, and in this time, she's worked in a number of different kinds of clinical settings in mostly urban communities. Sydney Richardson Carr is a nurse practitioner who works in two urgent and primary care centers in the interior of BC. We don't need any oversight. We're very autonomous in our practice and we can provide all kinds of care. So any care through the lifespan from infants to older adults. And there are nurse practitioners around the province working in primary care, but lots of NPs work in acute care settings, specialty settings, some outreach and rural settings. So we're really, we have a quite a broad range of NPs doing lots of different things. For me, working at the UPCC sites, definitely providing that classic primary care when you think of someone coming in with a health need, you know, what's going on, what kind of interventions do you need? So we really can provide that well-rounded primary care to patients of all ages. So Sydney works in, as you mentioned, Sarah, the Vernon UPCC, and UPCCs are set up differently. And in this UPCC, the NPs provide a range of primary care services from those urgent assessments straight the way through to longitudinal care. We do the long-term primary care just like you would at a regular kind of family practice clinic, just with the benefit of having all of the team members. And then we also do the urgent primary care meaning it has to be a concern that needs to be addressed within kind of a 12 to 24-hour period that should be able to be managed in a primary care site. What stood out for me in all the conversations we had was really this full scope of practice idea for nurse practitioners in primary care. So as an NP and my team, I provide primary health care. So I go to clinic in the morning and my patients are booked to see me and or talk to on the phone. And I manage all of their needs throughout the day. So with primary health care, there can be, you know, managing chronic disease, there can be managing mental health, substance use disorder, helping support frail elderly stay in their home, helping support and maintain like health promotion for babies as they come in for their well baby checks. I provide women's health care. I do various procedures like inserting IUDs. So it, it's very much a full scope practice of primary health care. Erin talks about the full scope quite a bit. And I think this emphasis on full scope probably comes from some of the common misconceptions that people have about what NPs can and can't do. And NPs, they've been practicing in BC for a while. But with the increase in training spots and the rollout of the MP clinics, we're definitely having a lot more attention on the role of MPs in BC. I think you're right, Morgan. And still, when I ask the nurse practitioners we talked to about surprising parts of their scope, the full scope conversation was definitely reiterated. Sydney described often seeing this with her new patients. People would say, oh, so I'm seeing you, I'm not seeing a doctor. And my response would be, oh, well, you know, you actually don't need to see a doctor today because I'm going to provide you with the care that you need. 
And so then we would proceed with our visit and I would assess their medical concern, make a diagnosis, treat their concern using, you know, a prescription or other um, non-pharmacological treatments. And they would be very pleasantly surprised and, you know, carry on their way. And that's really what it's all about. The biggest surprise is just someone realizing that they can get all of their primary care needs from a nurse practitioner without having to see someone else. Now, the NP role is different. They're primary care providers, Sarah, and it does take people a bit to get used to that shift. I think the doctor idea is so ingrained in our primary care mindset, right? Yeah, and nurse practitioners are nurses through their training and their previous experience. And I think that's important to recognize. Some patients do, as Sydney highlighted in her story, being a nurse also brings a different lens, I think, to some of the work. It makes nurse practitioners particularly focused on whole person and functional care. And I think a lot of us do that as providers, but it's definitely a strength I've seen with nurse practitioners that I've worked with. I've seen this particular focus and desire to really take the time to understand their patients, the personal context, the social determinants of health, and how that influences their functional health and well-being. I think the areas that I think we've excelled in, especially in British Columbia, is for uh, agonist therapy for safe supply for medications to meet the needs of British Columbians facing a toxic drug supply that's out there. For HIV prevention and APSI treatment, we've been in the forefront on these lines as well and providing that access when others have felt uncomfortable. So me and my colleagues, you know, we're working with the PC Center for Substance Use. We train a lot of MPs and physicians to be able to prescribe medications to support harm reduction and to decrease the, the opiate crisis, hopefully. Now that was Kelvin Bai, an NP who works in an urban CHC in Vancouver. And I know we've already talked about how community health centers are really purpose-built to meet the needs of the populations they serve. And they're so well positioned to do this with an equity lens in the work, often focusing on otherwise marginalized populations. But Kelvin and Eliza both reflected on the specific abilities of NPs with their nursing background to really do exactly what you just said, Morgan, to focus on that patient-centered care. NPs are really well poised because of our nursing background to work in teams. Because, for example, like the other day, patients come in with me with their taxes issues or they're living in modular housing. And you don't know why the government's not giving them a certain benefit or they're not allowed to access. I have no idea. But then it's like I sent a message or work with my community health support worker and the social work team. And they're able to get patients, you know, the money flowing so that they could buy groceries so to have money to eat. And so I think those are the things that we get excited about as nurse practitioners, about team-based care, when the funding is supporting that to meet the social instruments of health. So as an MP, I love that about my scope and that we are poised well to work with teams. And then we really see that we want to have an equitable, give voice, I guess, give power to those other team members so that they could actually feel an equal part of the team to share the load and to share the decision-making. I think there's a growing awareness across the board of the importance of the social determinants of health, especially as we've seen these inequities become so prevalent in so many populations after COVID and with poverty and just a multitude of other complexities. We can just see this gap getting more and more alarming as we move forward. And many providers would agree that there is a fundamental need to shift the way that we deliver care from quantity and volume to quality and value. And that aligns really nicely with our nursing backgrounds because 
as nurses, we really strive to meet patients where they are, to involve patients and their families as equal partners, and to move towards patient-centered care at an individual and a team and an organizational and a systems level. And, you know, so often when we ask nurse practitioners about their favorite parts of their jobs, it was the stories of being able to really provide individualized care. And often working with other team members to provide that care really well in a very patient-centered wraparound way. So some of the simple, somewhat silly wins. The other day, the LPN that I worked with on outreach was we were able to get them a raised toilet seat because this person had a brain injury following an overdose and had mobility issues and couldn't go to the washroom. And then the other thing as big as getting someone healthcare coverage or preventing someone from being deported. So it goes from like small wins to a raised toilet seat to big, like bigger ones. My ideal day is just even just small wins or someone just thanking us that we took the time to listen when no one else did. And if we have these, we hold on to it so preciously because we bring pressure to attach more numbers or to see more people, but we have to pause. It's about that pausing and say like, we did it today with that one person. So there's that joy in the little things that you can do to support patients. And for many of us, that desire to help, to support, I mean, that's that's why we do what we do. It can be a little thing like being able to syringe somebody's ears and suddenly allow them to hear. That can be a, a total game changer. I think things like that are what drive so many of us. It's being able to see a patient who may have been in eMERGE multiple times for the same thing, and they've come to you now, and it's your initial appointment. And you're able to spend that time to understand really what's going on and the reason behind why they're going to emerge for the same thing and them being validated that the care they're asking for is important. And then building that rapport and having that trust and that person trusting that you are listening to them is also super rewarding. So those are like just little things. It's, yeah, it's the relational pieces, I think, that are quite rewarding. The building of relationship over time is something that Erin really emphasized over the course of our conversation. She also highlighted the relationship-centeredness as a key motivator for her in her work. She spoke really eloquently about the value of working in a team as a way to learn and refocus on relationship-centered care. Sometimes a really cool way to get there is to also see a patient together. I remember doing some outreach visits and we had this phenomenal social worker with us and we awesome patients together and took a history together. And I just learned so much from the perspective of social work that those few half days that we spent together really stayed with me and really informed the way that I approach a history for a patient who is vulnerable and how I work with them to identify what their priorities are, as opposed to projecting my own list onto them. So I think seeing patients together is a really valuable way to collaborate. Of course, at Team Up, we're on board here and totally biased when it comes to team-based care. But we also acknowledge that there are challenges and layers of complexity with teams. We have such a high degree of autonomy that sometimes you get caught up into this approach to doing things. And one example I can think of was in one of the sites I've worked at, I realized that I had a lot of shared care with one of the counselors on the site. And we are always trying to catch each other and find each other and give each other an update. And, you know, someone would be, a patient would be in crisis and someone else would need a different type of support. And we realized that what we needed 
was 30 minutes together every week scheduled with a list of our shared clients with their consent so that we could actually collaborate on what they needed and prioritize and sort of fill in the gaps for each other. And that for me can be a really effective way to connect with other members of my team. I know you have a story you often tell about this exact challenge, the challenge of finding that time to connect with a new team member. Yeah, I do. And in multiple iterations of work, when new people come on or I join a new team over the years, it's always tricky to find the time. Very early on, I got to work with a nurse practitioner. And I think it's harder with nurse practitioners than nurses or other providers when you're not sharing a panel of patients. If a nurse practitioner joins a practice as a primary care provider, Sarah, they will have their own panel, of course. And so you're not sharing patients quite as much. And when you're working with a nurse, you're more often be sharing a panel or they're sharing your panel or however you want to phrase it. So I think that's the extra hard part is that you're not naturally doing that. So finding a way to do that sharing, we have done some of the training and that's been a great way to get to know nurse practitioners. A really fortunate thing for Kool-Aid in our clinic is that several of our great nurses have left to become nurse practitioners and come back. Right. And so we knew them and we know them in a new role. And that's been so cool. What that highlights to me is you really need that intentional process, that intentional time to figure out how you're going to work together, particularly with the nurse practitioner role. And I also think you putting my medical anthropologist hat on here a bit. You know, when we think about nurse practitioner role in particular, there's a lot of power dynamics and kind of traditional hierarchies that come into the mix. The medical system, gender lines, particularly traditional nurse-doctor relationships. And this is something that Sydney reflected on as she talked about the evolution of her team over time. When we first came together as a team, I think some members of the team were used to working traditionally and a little bit more of kind of a hierarchical setting. And so adjusting to being on a team where there really is no hierarchy, we're all on equal footing and we're all trying to provide the same thing to the patient, which is the best care possible. And so I think there's always just those growing pains as people adjust to working on a team and realizing that, you know, we are all in it together. And I think when the scope of practice overlaps, which it often does between different share providers, there have been some growing pains as we try to sort out, well, whose job is it going to be then? Pulling out the details of who is going to do what and when sometimes can be a challenge, but I think we've really, as a group, worked through those processes and we have great leadership that continues to help devise standard work processes that help determine when it's best for the patients to have which kind of care and that kind of thing. I do think it's really important because when everyone's doing what they need to do, the patient care is much smoother, more coordinated, and ultimately better for the patient. So NPs absolutely facilitate that coordinated patient care as Sydney talked about. Spence, the UPCCRN calls out the nurse practitioner's superpower. I think they're very good at being humble. They always go out of their way to help with an education point or talking about something or explaining something if you have a question. So it seems weird to say their humility, but with that, I mean their humility mixed with their helpfulness. I think that's their superpower. And they're so knowledgeable and and well-versed, and they're very cautious and methodical with how they approach patient care. 
And, you know, this humility really came across in all our conversations as well. And as we've been doing all season, we asked the nurse practitioners we connected with for advice as to what they would recommend folks should do if an NP is joining their team. Like looking back on the team. So it's not just you as a clinic owner or you as a clinic manager. What is your team understanding of a nurse practitioner role? What do your MOAs think about that? How is it different or the same? Maybe you want to put in places of patient mapping of that experience journey for your patients, of what it means to when you come in and you're going to be booked with an NP. So those are the things that you want to do that in the beginning, throughout, and those pauses, the building the time to take the time to evaluate how are things going? You know, what's not working well? And when are we celebrating together or where we might need to be like holding tension or naming tension? And invite your MOEs and other team members to an interview panel. We want to focus on that shared equity, like the equity and the power and decision-making. And to add to that is about values. It's about sharing, like, what is the values of our clinic? How do we want to actually work as a team? I think the thing is when you have that upfront discussion too, it really knows if you're, if you're going to fit as a team and work together. That's Kelvin again on the importance of creating the time to connect and communicate and make sure the expectations around working together are clear. I like their integration guidebook idea that's on their website, Sarah. I think that's very cool. We have something similar. We call it an onboarding manual at the ISU. Theirs is obviously more clinically focused. Because it's online, we'll put a link in the show notes if people are curious. Now, we talk about getting to know your team all the time, obviously. And others who have learned to work together know how important this is, too. So it's not just us, but people like Sydney agree. I think step one, learn about each team member's training and scope and what picture they have of their role in the clinic. And then step two would be to kind of standardize the roles as much as possible. And then step three is just that constant evolution, you know, evaluating where things are at and being honest and open with each other when there are challenges and finding a way to work through that together. Sydney went on in our conversation to shift to a focus on communication and how important clear communication pathways and opportunities for connection really are. And this is nothing new. We've said this before. Um, But Eliza also lived back to the same idea. I think it's important to set up a good cadence for communication. So the weekly huddles, making sure if it's a PCNP contract that they're involved in setting up the practice level agreement, plan how you're going to cover each other when you're away, plan how you can ensure that if you're not working, if your patient has an urgent concern, that schedules are blocked off accordingly so that there's same day urgent bookings that are available. And then just talking about how to really strengthen the relationship and make it as powerful as possible so that when there are concerns or confusion down the road, how do we connect with each other? Do you want to talk on the phone? Do you want to talk by email? Should we grab a coffee? Would you like to get lunch? Like really building that relationship up before things get busy on a practical level. All of that's quite important. I love how she ties communication and relationships across the team together here in what she described. And Morgan, you know, what I'm realizing as we progress through this season, we asked everyone what they would recommend if Role X is joining their team. We went out and talked to over 30 providers. These recommendations are very rarely role specific. They're recommendations that help build those high functioning teams in general. They absolutely are, Sarah. And that's why the recommendations are always so similar. I think that we're people first, and then we are in our provider role second. So to wrap up this episode, what are our calls to action for today? These are calls to action if an NP is joining your team, but really, like I said, these are generalizable. So firstly, it's that create time to connect. 
And then I think second would be building that shared understanding of the roles and then try to standardize wherever possible. This is particularly true when there's very real overlap. And it also helps our patients understand. Yeah, and that communication to patients piece about role pieces, that's so critical, right? And lastly, I think figure out communication pathways and build a good communication cadence to support coordination and also relationships across the team. And then to go back to this idea of the team as including patients. So when we think about communication, it's not just communication across the providers, but also to the patients and how that's happening. I totally agree, Sarah. And I think that wraps up our episode on nurse practitioners this week. Thanks for listening. And as always, we'd love to hear from you. If you have any ideas about things you'd like us to touch on in this season or in the next season, send us an email at isu at familymed.ubc.ca. 